Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with my good friend, Paul DiCiccio of Tor Johnson Records. We talked about Hum's 1995 album, You'd Prefer an Astronaut. We also talk about Tor Johnson Records' 20-year anniversary and doing something just for the love of it and not trying to keep up with the Joneses, which is hard. Tor Johnson, like I mentioned, is celebrating their 20th birthday by releasing a split 7-inch every month for the whole year. Bands like The Body, Into It Over It, Slingshot Dakota, Pogo, Thou, but, unfortunately, the series is sold out, so you're going to have to check out your local record store. We'll talk about that more in the chat. Seriously, Paul has been such a great friend and big supporter of my projects, and I sincerely owe him so much over the years. And as a fellow label owner, he's such an influence on how we do our business and you know, kind of someone that I can look to just to kind of feel like if things, you know, just don't make sense. So it's really means a lot to have Paul in my life. Dare I say, I love you, Paul. Well, that felt good. Okay, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we talk about records we liked a lot when we were younger, and we revisit them as much older, jaded individuals. It's a lot of fun and a great foil to the main pod, so please subscribe for as little as $1 a month more if you'd be so kind, and we'll give you new content every week. Okay, let's chat with Paul. Hey Paul, how's it going? Pretty good. It's uh, a little chilly, but uh, not not too bad of a day. Uh, what is chilly there in Rhode Island? Well, today wasn't that bad. Today was like high thirties, low forties, but it's like rainy, and it's been like really icy mm-hmm. recently. So like this weekend has been kind of weird, like big snowstorm and then chill down and then ice and. Yeah, I was just wondering what the difference... We were kind of in the 40s, so not, not too different. Not but, too bad. Uh, so I was wondering if that was like... Because for me, like, chilly... Well, chilly here is probably like 60. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's, a, so, that's a beautiful... That's like uh, hoodie on, like... It's a windy 60. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we are not here to talk about the weather. We are talking about... Hum's record, You'd Prefer an Astronaut. That's from 1995. Um, I was going to say it's their... Well, actually, it is their third record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that came out on RCA Records. That was their major label debut. And uh, it was produced by Keith Cleversley, who I found no information about. Uh, but... Okay, so what I will ask is, when was the first time you heard Hum or this record? Uh, around the time it was released, um, Stars was their one hit. You know, they you could say they're a one hit wonder, uh, and yeah. they were definitely on the 120 minute like ra- rounds, and that song was on the radio. I'd say that I didn't really sit down with this record in its entirety until probably early 2000s okay um did you ever see their beavis and butthead appearance 
Oh man, I do not remember. No, I don't think so. So I'll have to look it up. On on the Beavis and Butthead appearance, uh, it starts. You know, it stars, of course, uh-huh. and it starts with the way the song starts out. It's just kind of like the singing, and then the big ring out happens. Uh, when they're singing, they're like, "Oh, this is so bad." And then whenever uh, the big ring out happens, they're like, "Oh, cool." And then they're like, "Oh, I guess that's done." And then they turn the TV off, and that's it. That's the whole. <laughs> Which I, I just thought that, that was so perfect for them. That's almost like better than like, you know, anything that could happen on Beavis and Butthead. It's it's funny because I feel like it's probably one of the only songs that was a major hit that actually used silence like even in the beginning like that's such a no-no on the radio like you don't have silence like period because if somebody's changing the channels or whatever they're going to think you just don't have anything on uh and it's kind of interesting that right in the beginning of the song they're just like yeah well like what if we do this though and that's going to be the hit yeah it's so wild that it's a hit it also uh i guess like thinking about I feel like actually within the past few years, I've kind of started thinking about Hum as a band and not just like a thing that comes on on playlist, mm-hmm. you know, from like working at venues and just going to shows, it felt like every time the song Stars came on, just like, you know, down here, I would say like kind of redneck people, we'll say townies, would kind of start push pitting the stars, just no matter mm-hmm. what's happening, they just appear out of nowhere so I feel like I never kind of appreciate, well, for a long time, I didn't appreciate the band as a whole outside of being a one-hit wonder band, which is such a strange thing because, like, even when you're watching, I watched, like, their Conan uh, appearance, mm-hmm. and it's like, <laughs> this is not a band primed for major label success. No, yeah. not at all. <laughs> not yeah, at they're all. playing, like, too fast. They're too loud. And also, well, maybe it was fine at the time. Everyone in the band is wearing shorts. Yeah. On, you know, on their, na- or like, I think that was their, like, uh, national television, you know, debut. Uh-huh. And I was just like, this should not have happened in the way that it did. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, it was that time frame of, like, a perfect storm where all the labels were pulling up anything that was, like, remotely alt-rocky you know, and just seeing what happens, like yeah. throwing it all in the blender and seeing what sticks. Um, it's interesting, definitely, like when you dive into more than just stars, like how much stuff like you and I probably love that they definitely drew influence from. Like you can hear like mineral, you can hear like, you know, quicksand, like all the stuff that like was of that time and not necessarily popular but they were just grungy enough that like major labels were like, Oh yeah, let's, uh, they should get a hit though. Yeah. I, it really just like outside of just the fact that every band around this time was getting signed it, it, but it's like, when you think about it, I'm like, well then like jawbreaker should have had, you know, or jawbox should have had, or even jawbreaker, but you know, jawbox should have had like that type of success. You know, it's just, you know, there's not really any reason why it happens to one band or the other. It's just, it does, you know? And it's not to say that, like, Stars isn't a good song. Sure. You just kind of made me, it made me f- almost like, 
Let me think of the right word since I can edit things. I don't want to say like hate this band. Um, okay, I got a good word. It made me resent this band. It's because every time it came on, uh, and this is younger me, a younger, more spiteful me. Um, that was just because I, I didn't get the full context of the band. Even actually with doing some of the research uh, for this, like I feel like I got a lot more appreciation. You know, uh, and even to the fact it's like, I, uh, before this, I really, I kind of forgot that they had a, uh, I thought that Electra 2000 was their first record going into this. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Because the, the first record is called uh filet show. And yeah, it's yeah, got yeah. a fish on the cover. So you right. see the obvious joke. Um, so <laughs> doesn't seem to be a band that's like primed for what they became. You know? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Um, I guess like I didn't do as much research into them as I probably should have, but I'm curious to know how, like who their PR was at the time, like who was really pushing them because it's, you listen to the rest of the record and there's maybe one or two other songs that could have been on the radio and like the rest of it, it's just like, like, this is a record that could have come out on Crank. This is a record that could have come out on like, I don't know, uh, Polyvinyl or like something like that. Um, and it's it's kind of interesting that somehow they got that push, and then there's oh, so many other bands that had been signed in that time frame that didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like how like who really did the push for them? I mean, even looking at the cover art. Like you think about the other like one hit wonders or grungy alt rock stuff coming out at the time had more interesting record art than green mm-hmm. with a zebra on it. I mean, yeah. even uh, downward is heavenward is like a more engaging cover art. And that record yeah. had like no hits, you know? And it's, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I wonder though, because like what I'm starting to kind of, it's not like a crazy concept but it's like it's like we almost sometimes think about things going the other way like it's like a record from the indies that is trying to peek up to the majors but there also is this idea that like the majors were just trying to replicate what was successful in the indies true so in a way it's like they may have been like I, i think it was the idea of like the old model wasn't working like if we can get a success on butthole surfers, then everything is broken. And then, you know, so it's like, well, why don't we, and some of these might've been fans. Cause like, you know, I feel like I mentioned this book a lot, but the book sellout by Dan Ozzy, hmm. you know, there's a lot of people that kind of either came from it or they kind of understand like where these bands lived. You okay. know, like they were tra- like in the Jimmy world chapter, they're like trying to sign Christy front drive. You know, so it's like that's who they wanted. But then Christy Front Drive was like, "No, you should check out Jimmy World." You know, because <laughs> right, they didn't right. want to sign no major, and that's like how it happened. So it's like it's just any of like our friends' bands or peers' bands. You know, it's like all of them could have been ripe for the picking. You know, sure. saying like when we were saying like the, you know, I guess Orange Nine Millimeter, you know, uh, Quicksand, and whoever. You know, it's like any of them could have been that. Mm-hmm. It's just the time was like exactly right 
for right. it. But but yeah, I mean, it's like, but then it always seems like a lot of times it just kind of ends the same. But this is like a tiny bit more of a peak, you know, right. like two hundred and fifty thousand copies, you know, like it would have been insane for a Discord, you sure. know. Sure. But if this was on Discord, it wouldn't have done 250,000 copies. Right. You know, so it's it still would be. But that's also, I know, because usually this is kind of where we go later in the conversation, I guess. But I think that that weird thing about, like, being on a major ends up kind of like when I'm thinking about the way I viewed it as a, a more, you know, a younger, more spiteful kid. I didn't put it in the context of them being alongside quicksand for a long time. Yeah. And so that's like a weird thing about, you know, they're a band that, well, because they put out like inlet, you know, like last, well, 2020, um, they're a band that, that can exist as an independent band. But when I think about, cause they toured, they toured with like failure, like a couple of times or a few years ago. But I don't necessarily feel like Failure is a band that can exist within the same confines, you know. But I could also be wrong, you know. Well, no, I mean, I think that's also a question of, like, production, where a band like Failure, like, in my mind, and, like, maybe in your mind, I don't know, um, you listen to those records and... I mean, you and I obviously have a little bit more inner workings of uh, production of music than yeah. normal guy on the street. And I listen to failure records and I'm like, there's a lot yeah. of money behind this record. You know what I mean? Where hum, I feel like because of the song structures and because of maybe just how they, in my brain, approach the band, there doesn't necessarily need to be as much yeah. money behind the record. Like this record until it was that, um, the remaster that oh, I have it here. Uh, we put it out. Um, was this one suburban home? Who did it? SRC. When okay, SRC okay. did this one yeah. in 2012. Okay. So this is the 2012 release that I own. Uh, they remastered it mm-hmm. and it sounds awesome. But prior to that coming out, this was a lo-fi mm-hmm. record compared to a lot of stuff that was yeah. happening at the time. Like, it was not really mastered that great. It was, it was sounded raw in comparison to a lot of their contemporaries. Like, definitely more in line with like a, with like a quicksand or a mineral than they were with like, I don't know what was around the same time, like a Dishwalla yeah. or yeah. like other one-hit wonder like all yeah. bands, you know? Um and so I feel like because of that approach, they're a band that easily in my brain can exist within the indie sphere once you get outside of yeah. stars. Which I think like kind of jump into a different tangent with it. Um, I, I think like when I think about, I always wonder like why younger people seem to like latch on to hum. Like, and I think like if they don't have any of this baggage, which, uh, which luckily it didn't like affect you as much getting into it, um, then it's just all the same playing, (laughs) you know, it's all the same like playground to them, you know? Sure. Sure. It's, I feel like they could like, if you boil it down, it could be baby's first Mm -hmm. shoegaze band. 
they're they're yeah. not a shoegaze band, but they use a lot of those same tones and a lot of those same like effects that if you're a kid and you're you've been introduced to radio rock pretty much your whole life and then you hear this and this is like a stepping stone and then somebody introduces you to like i don't know even like a failure or my bloody valentine or whatever you now have a touchstone that you can be like oh this isn't so Mm -hmm. out of left field yeah you know what i mean um I feel like for me, it was an easy stepping stone from, you know, 95, I was uh, Mm -hmm. 13. All right. So what's that like? uh, Junior high? Yeah. Around that time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So like in my, you know, looking back on it, I'm like coming out of like, a Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots, like radio rock sort of a thing, and like haven't really been introduced to too much mm-hmm. indie stuff yet. And then I hear stars. And then like the next year or so, somebody's like, check out Slip by, by Quicksand or like whatever. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. And they're like, oh, that dude was also in a band called, called Gorilla Biscuits. So now obviously you're introduced to a lot more shit, but musically you were introduced to quicksand or whatever and you're like oh i can hear parts that now relate to this thing that i already knew and like the building blocks were there yeah yeah that makes sense um so do you feel like if you intellectualize like this record as opposed to downward is heavenward which one would you say do you feel like you gravitate toward this album for like nostalgia reasons or which one do you prefer? I guess it's the question. And I know we're talking about this as your favorite record, but if you had to kind of like take the distance, well, I mean, or even if it's the same answer, fa- you know? fa- favorite in quotation marks, my favorite record, like changes yeah. daily pretty much, but this is a good record to, to talk about. I feel like nostalgia reasons. Um, I gravitate towards this record because this was definitely my introduction uh i feel like downward has better songs Mm -hmm. but i also feel like this one as a whole is a better okay that's interesting yeah and i think really what i was projecting there is downward is heavenward was the album that kind of cracked the code for me i was like and i listened to i don't know it's probably been within the past five years or more but and, and I finally like I was like oh no nah, I've been a hater <laughs> like and it was like yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, it yeah, felt yeah. more in like because there's it's like and that also kind of bothers me about a band um, is when people latch onto one song and you're like they have other mm-hmm. songs and it also it almost made me resentful again in a different way that was like you all should like more of this there's more this band can give you than just the song stars you know yeah agree yeah yeah like at this point i feel like i like stars for mm-hmm. nostalgia reasons and not necessarily because it's my favorite song yeah. like it's not at all there are like way better songs on this record way better songs on downward i mean hell even inlet is like a killer yeah. record like it really is 
uh when that got dropped like on Bandcamp, i listened to it so much that they were just like they got to the point where they were like you can't listen to it anymore until you pay me and, you know, I, was, yeah. I was like oh yeah right yeah i forgot that you do this yeah um yeah <laughs> you know i mean even with this record i feel like because you know, the other singles that came out were the pod and i'd like your hair long it's like mm-hmm. if i had to pick one you know I, i'd say i'd like your hair long as my favored one out of the three that were the singles you know, and I listened sure. to Inlet today uh, in preparation mm-hmm. of this, and that record is like bonkers heavy. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's yeah, so it's heavy, insane. Um, I feel like so for myself as a as a drummer as well. Like watching the old videos of them, their drummer is way heavier than mm-hmm. the stand is. Like, and I feel the same about like watching videos of like Mineral and like watching videos of a lot of bands from that time frame. You're just like, God damn, that drummer is hitting so hard in this music. Yeah, so even like it. when you watch like, but, uh, like Sunny Day on 120 Minutes, you're like, yeah. he's doing a lot. <laughs> yeah, he's doing a lot. Like, you could tell these are guys that are not just like rock yeah. and roll dudes. Like, yeah. Um, for me, it's uh, even though it kicks off the, the whole record, Little Dipper is such yeah. a good song. Like that song, I feel like once I finally really dived into the record, like you know, put it on, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm like here for this. Yeah, yeah. When uh, another thing that needs to happen too, whoever is in charge. Of and maybe it's the band, and if they're listening, I'm sorry, but I've seen this happen a lot. Um, when you go on Spotify and it, really any streaming service, so um, someone needs to do a better job cropping these album images on streaming. Uh, there's yeah. a super drag record that oh. we've done on the pod. When you go look at it, um, uh, it's so there's so many records from this era, especially ones that are like made label. it's like some intern i think it probably is some intern that's like hey i guess we, we've gotten some emails maybe we should put this stuff up and it's just this kid's job hourly wage to like put up these things and he he yeah, just yeah, screenshots yeah. it kind of does a really bad thing uh maybe even <laughs> they let him into the vault and so that's why it's like you know but it's like somebody needs to fix the crops on these these digital images you know the worst are there's ones that are like legit pixelized, yeah. like pixelated on Spotify, and I'm just like, yeah. really though? Like y'all didn't have the money to like, yeah, just use let me. I'll re-upload it. I I know how to do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that's where that that's those tangents <laughs> that don't really lead anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the worst. Uh, so I work like you know ten hours a week week or so at a record store, just so there's like mm-hmm. taxes on the books for like in addition to the print shop. Um, so I get to see a lot of new records that come in and it makes me wonder if like, do execs not have access to the vaults because they re-released Dave Matthews band crash. And it is the most pixelated picture I've ever seen physically held in my hand. Yeah. Like the LP is fucking horrible. It's like, okay. So I assume crash I could be wrong. I don't know if Crash ever had a vinyl release originally. Or oh, yeah, or it's either they never had the like, vinyl release, so they don't have that image that is bigger than this. Yeah. But, but also, like, you could scan a jacket at a high enough resolution 
to blow it up, like, use a flatbed scanner and scan it at, like, I don't know, fucking 6,000 DCI or whatever, and then you can blow it up big enough and it's fine. But, like... Yeah, yeah, that's what that's ridiculous. what's interesting though. I guess like getting back to this, it's like even with this album, I feel like the differing colors that you see the album art being has like made me, you know, uh well well we put out an album that was very green, you know, the late bloomer record. And like if it's if it's put up <laughs> yeah. incorrectly, it gets green. It this actually has the same effect. It's like it's some sort of art, you know, Roy G. Biv kind of thing, you know, but it's like I feel like yeah, yeah. I always thought this record cover was like a bright, well, Spotify green, and it's not. It's not. It's like a leaf green with like the bottom is like mm-hmm. an olive almost. Like, yeah, it's very weird how they decided to upload that because, yeah, online, it's just like, it's, yeah. it's neon, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Ridiculous. And. I don't know. I just think that's really interesting. And I think that whoever is, if, if you're listening and you have enough money or a lot of time, uh, try and do vinyl versions of these that can be remastered. Cause I don't hate it. Like, it's like, I don't know what versions are going up in the streaming. And like, if we're talking about Hollywood records, like with the seaweed record, seaweed record that was, you know, not out for a long time, who knows what versions yeah, yeah. are going up. It's like a, it's like a SST thing, you know? Like I don't, he's not remastering exactly. these, and who knows what, like he's probably putting up vinyl masters on <laughs> streaming, which I know we're getting deep into the differences there, um, but things we understand. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, and you know, I think it was, yeah, probably around like this remaster that like I finally listened to it online and was just like, oh yeah. It is. It is way heavy. It is. I don't have to literally blow my speakers out to like actually hear it. Yeah. And I, okay. So maybe we should really talk about the actual record. So, um, so the <laughs> song stars. Um, it got to number eleven on Hot Modern Rock Tracks. So pretty good. And the album, uh, they pretty say, good. because of stars once again, uh, sold over two hundred fifty thousand copies, which we mentioned. Um. So I guess I, I wanted to go into more like your experience getting into it in 1995, if you remember. I know we kind of talked about it a little bit. but So 1995 was really more just a single for me, like along with uh, other radio rock stuff at the time. I didn't really delve too much into the full record until like early mm-hmm. 2000s. I think I got a CD for like, you know, three bucks or something somewhere i always liked that single like i it always sort of stood out to me compared to a lot of stuff that was on the radio at that point in time as like more than just radio rock i guess yeah um and so when i did finally get the cd and really dive into it more um at that point in time, you know, I'm in college, I'm lo- listening to mostly punk hardcore, like indie. I rarely listen to the radio at all. Um, and it really just reminded me so much of that, like, late 90s, harder indie rock stuff that I loved. And it, it always struck me as sort of odd that it was RCA. I don't, I don't know. I sort of, like, pushed it out of my head yeah. that it was major label. And, um, yeah. 
I'll say for the actual record itself, side A definitely grips me more than side mm-hmm. B. Side B definitely has a lot more of those like super mellow songs. Yeah. Um, but I listened to the whole thing again today and I was like, oh yeah, right. Yeah, so and I good. think that the thing, the part where I'll agree with you on the B side, I feel like a lot of time I'm more, almost more prone to like a B side because that's all that's often what people do with it. So I like kind of like that stretching out. Hmm. But I think the stretching out that they do on the B side, they do better on downward is heavenward. So that that kind of feeling, you Agreed. know, like comparing them. So. So I mean, it's probably pretty clear that my favorite hum record is "Downward Is Heavenward" since I've said that a bunch. Uh, and I don't know if I've met anyone that's been like "Electra 2000" is my favorite hum record. I have not. I have not. Yeah. I definitely have not. I definitely have met people recently that inlet like okay. took the crown yeah. from some people, but yeah, nobody is like that's my like. What uh, it's "Electra 2000," yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. God damn it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no one's like, Electra 2000 is like my favorite. It's That, that one yeah. had some songs. That's about it. Maybe yeah, I mean, I feel like it's it's usually Astronaut, but, you know, like Downward, I think, is like yeah. the kind of, you know, someone will be like, well, you know, pre- people like me will maybe say Downward, you know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really, I really feel like it's similar to a Clarity mm-hmm. Bleed American fight, you know, where like, I feel like people who came into hum after afterwards um, probably okay. like downward more. I feel like like downward is uh, especially for people coming from a more punk indie uh-huh. background. Um, I feel like downward is, they're not trying as hard. They're just writing killer songs. They're not like there's probably no one talking in their ear about like mm-hmm. making hits, you know? Um, but I feel like for, and I feel like people who were there when stars was on and were experiencing it at the same time, probably more for nostalgia than anything else, lean more towards. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, watching this like uh, short YouTube uh, thing, you know, just about hum as a whole. And he, the guy there was saying like, oh, you know, yeah, Downward isn't as good. There's not as many like, you know, kind of memorable songs. And then I, I think that's from the viewpoint of kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like striving for the radio, which which is weird because I wonder if mm-hmm. this band was even striving for the radio. I think they just hit it. Like it doesn't feel, and maybe this is, you know, it's like if I strove for the radio, I'm not sure what I would really land on either, you know. I don't, I don't think I'd land on stars. Yeah, so I don't know how that happens. You know, but I'm like, I, I don't know if it'd be interesting to note if, you know, Matt Talbot was like, we got to get a hit, you know? You know? Because right. I even right. wonder kind of like from if, if, if it is, if there is truth of like the label just kind of trying to replicate kind of what was working in the underground, then they might not have had as much, you know, people telling them in their ear what to do as we would expect you know but that's all fiction i don't know (laughs) considering that we can't really find anything about the person who produced the record like it makes me think that like the label was pretty hands off because there would be at least unnamed that we could like find out more information about 
um, if the label is really in it. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm going to look but at up, the same time, um, you know, while we're talking, like, who Keith uh, Cleversley is. Because I feel like there's got to be some kind of, like, and all it led me to was uh, LinkedIn. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> In caps. Because like, I wonder, <laughs> like, if this is maybe, uh, there might, there might, okay, there might be something more here. Um, so, okay, so Keith uh, Cleversley he was a sound engineer and producer for The Flaming Lips, Mercury Rev, and Spiritualize. And he founded his own studio, The Playground. And, well, it says in uh, 2010, moved to Encinitas, San Diego to start a new project. It's a new master. So he went into mastering, as I think most successful people gotcha. probably hope, because I think you don't, you, you don't really have to talk to people directly or like, you know, it, it sounds uh-huh. good. But um, I, I, that's interesting, though, because um, I know that, like, I believe some of their early singles and maybe Fellatio, they did stuff with uh, Steve Albini early on in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah and exactly. so it is it is strange, but that kind of makes more sense. So it's almost like then I'm kind of guessing that RCA kind of gave them like a, you know, like those. It's just one of those people, the inner working people that you've never heard their names, uh, and they just kind of go, "Oh, well, right. we got this guy." Yeah. I I bet it was something like they gave them a list of people, and I bet they were like, oh, "I like the flaming." Let's yeah. Try that. This is interesting because it's okay. So production, it is it is a strange list that I wouldn't have expected. You know, uh, so flaming lips. She don't use jelly, so that was a Warner Brothers record um okay yeah and so i guess he was kind of like churning out hits he did some other flaming lips stuff in the early 90s so i mean we we both learned something today yeah so i i didn't know any of that going in so hum of course and uh, then just seems like kind of went on to more huh this is interesting but that's almost like Flaming Lips, Mercury, because Mercury Rev, I feel like, and Spiritual Eyes were like almost the equivalents of what Hum could have been. Not like sonically, but they were the band that was like, they were kind right. of being like, this is this is either going to hit or it's not. You know? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I feel like they kind of just, they did their thing, but like, I, I hate to say got more acceptable, but like, they weren't worried about having a hit. They were maybe just more like, okay, so one or like one to three songs on this record, like should be sort of accessible. Yeah. yeah like something, yeah. something needs, to, it's almost a term of like, not a radio hit, but like something might need to be catchy. But then it's like through, through the filter right. of, right. we'll say guys that grew up on punk, which I would have said they easily are, you know, that's a little bit different yeah. than, than a pop. The, the definition the definition of acceptable is like definitely different when looking at it through that lens than like looking at it through I don't know like a metal I don't know like like a band that's trying to make it you know yeah I think they were it's like they were happy to use the resources that were in front of them and I, I think you would be silly to not you know uh, I did find it interesting how many I use I I'm trying to think of the right word because ballad isn't the right word, but like 
less mm-hmm. rockin' songs they're all on this record. Like, you know, uh, Suicide Machine obviously is pretty mellow. Um, like, Very Old Man is pretty mellow. Um, songs of Farewell and Departure, like, isn't mellow, but, like, has that super elongated yeah. ending that just sort of, like, zones out. Um, and it's, it's interesting when you think that your hits are mm-hmm. rock songs that like that's almost half the record is super yeah. mellow it's inter- it's just interesting like i like it for listening purposes but i'm curious like obviously i didn't see them when they were touring on this record i didn't like see any of that like how was that experience yeah that's what's i i know we keep I mean, there's no way to not kind of talk, think about the kind of like it being put through the system of stuff. Because like, if this was, I mean, if this was slant, no one needs it to be that type of release, you know? And it's like, if this were even like going back to Christie Front Drive, it's just by sake of what it was like, what labels is on. You mentioned like, so like we could say like Crank or Dogpaw, you know, not uh, Dogpaw? Doghouse, Dogpaw is the search engine. (laughs) Yeah. I'm leaving my yeah, mistake in there. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's like they didn't need it to operate that way. So it's like when we go see a lot of these bands, you know, like we even as we go see them as like legacy acts, it's like it'd almost be like uh, Sleep having to be like a major label band or something, you know? It's like it wasn't built right, 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 right. to be that way, you know? Totally. And, and you've got to think that like, the they have obviously all this whole new fan base at the time that they're touring out this because of because they had a hit. So do you play a bunch of stuff off the old records that then like you're gonna lose your crowd because of that? Like I don't it's it's just interesting to think about. Um and we were talking about how the, the B side, um, like in my opinion, not necessarily drags, but it's definitely like uh lower energy. But then you have a song like I Hate It Too which could could also have been a hit, could have been yeah. on the radio. Do you feel like if it wasn't on RCA, and we we both know like we come from we come from backgrounds where we don't need something to be a major label. Do you feel like you would have sure this thought if it were on a smaller label, if this were a Discord release or whatever? It's like <laughs> not at all, not not even a little bit. Like maybe I would maybe in the back of my head I would have been like oh, the sequencing on this is yeah. kind of interesting. Like, in the back of my head, maybe I would have been like, I would have, like, changed around some of the sequencing, which is still true. Like, you have three, like, heavy hitters to start off your record, and then, like, you have some a lot more mellower songs. Like, I maybe would have, like, mixed, mixed mm-hmm. it up a little and, bit. Yeah. Oh, well, but, I guess they probably didn't, they didn't sequence it with knowing that stars would have been the top one, they just probably kind of know which one might perform better theoretically. So with that said, right. I, you know, it's like obvious that records from this time frame, people probably easily still do this. You just top load it, you know? Yeah. So true. true. Yeah. And so it does That's feel, true. it does feel top loaded in that way. So the, if the track listing were different, then we could kind of spread it around more, but if you're only appealing to a person that's buying it for stars, you know, as RCA would, you know. Yeah, then 
then yeah then it's right and also keeping in mind that this obviously was sequenced for the mm-hmm. tv age like obviously we're talking about a sides and b sides we're oh, talking yeah, about yeah. things like that because it's uh, it's been re-released as vinyl and this was released in in the cd boom so i guess looking at it that way as one continuous track listing it's not that bad because you're backloading it with uh i hate it here too and songs of farewell and departure i'd like your hair long is upbeat enough so like from a cd perspective i guess it's track yeah i but i know like growing up did you ever have i i'm kind of curious about this like thinking about I don't know if vinyl came out at the time either. Was would it have just been CD or was vinyl originally released? I mean, it makes me <laughs> want to go to Discogs right now and, and find out. We're we're discovering so much. Oh, it was. Yeah, no, no, it was it was pressed in '95, and then there was a UK pressing in '96, and then there was the reissue that I have in 2013. When I'm looking at the actual album art as it exists well it's on yep. wikipedia but it's a much better scan of it I, it looks so much more pleasing <laughs> than what it looked right what it uh what it sometimes shows up as also uh interestingly enough in 1995 the lp release was on oh, okay. cargo wow not and that's like an interesting thing too because i don't feel like i've ever heard for as many bands at this time frame that people will be like this band is a sellout. I don't know if I've heard people say home as a thing like that they sold out. Like I've Me never either. heard. And that's yeah. so weird. Cause like everyone has a comment about every band of this type that's done this. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> but it's totally. like, I've never heard anyone. And I think that probably adds into like the idea that like i i think it's like growing up i almost just thought this was like a major label band yeah <laughs> right right and then also like when when you work your way backwards it's they didn't sell out because like it sounds yeah, it the does. Same. yeah yeah and i don't know i don't know <laughs> I also understand. like i think they're they were pretty successful but it's like how successful were they before astronaut you know like to the point of like right you know it's well jimmy at world to use them as an example again it's like they were just like people you know it's like i know there were probably some people Mm -hmm. be calling them sellouts but it's weird to call them sellouts because it's like they were basically like from the get-go you know and even though even though hum put out two records before it's like it was a pretty quick turnaround like essentially filet show is like almost like a demo, like a full length demo. And then right. they, I think because right. of that, and I think it's, it's not, people will say like, I don't think that they were super happy with the way that turned out. And I've heard, and I, I agree. It had like a different singer on it too, like <laughs> on half of the record. Yeah. Um, so I think they, it's like they turned around Electra 2000 pretty quick. And then that's what got the attention. And then even from, uh, from astronaut that turned around pretty quickly too, I believe, you know, yeah, there wasn't much time frame yeah. in between them. And so that is interesting that a vinyl version came out on Cargo. I, I didn't realize that. But, yeah. Oh, uh, it, it's actually Cargo is the one that released okay. Electra. Okay, so I wonder if that's almost like some arrangement, yeah. you know. Yeah. 
Probably. That's got to be very I wouldn't nice. be surprised. <laughs> but uh, right. <laughs> do you have like any tapes that you grew up listening to? I guess especially even like cassette tapes. Like I feel like I'll get used to a certain track listing. And then whenever it came out on uh, – this happened a lot with tape to CD – there would be a different track listing yeah. because of the running times, you know? And I feel like that happens yeah. sometimes with vinyl to CD, but it's like, I guess that didn't happen for this because CD might've been the first thought. Yeah. I feel like this was definitely produced for, for CD. Like, and then, cause it, that's what RCA was pushing. Like if RCA is putting the money behind it, they're, they yeah, they're just like, that's nice. Vinyl. So you go, go have fun. Yeah. Hence, they were just like, cargo, have fun. I would almost feel like that might have been part of the arrangement. It was like, you don't have to pay us a licensing because, you know, that's probably like a you can do this. One, it's like, we didn't give a shit about it anyways. But that's, as a kid, back to butthole surfers, it's like, Uh I would just look for the most offensive images, those tiny little pictures. And then I'd be like, (laughs) wow, you know, there's a pencil through that guy's ear or something, you know. And then it's like, just imagine being a kid that just got this home album for us you know a, a penny yeah. yeah yeah also like why would you pick it it's literally green and would you be able to even see the zebra yeah commenting back to the that album you know what i mean that album art does speak more to people that have an experience with the type of music we're saying that we perceive it to be now yeah it like we were saying true. it doesn't feel like it Very makes true. sense and you already said that earlier, like downward is probably the one that you feel like would sell better in a way. It almost feels more like Visually. a like tool. And I don't even mean that in a, I mm-hmm. like, I like the album art for downward, you know, but it feels more like helmet or something, you know, something of the type, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It, it feels the, the cover art feels more like what I feel the label was. Probably if you put the fuel part. logo on downward, Oh yeah, you would just feel like fuel. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, meanwhile, the minimalists of of this album art, like, I know I've brought it up a couple times, and maybe it's also because they're from like the Illinois area, but like, it totally could have been a mineral record. It totally could have been a like Christie record. It could have been on Crank. You know, like, it's just minimal enough. But like, instead of a white background, like all of those bands had, it's yeah. a green background. Yeah. So with this, are we saying that? So is Hum like the luckiest band or an unlucky band? Oh. I mean, I feel like when you look at their work on as a whole, they've got to be lucky because I feel like they didn't really change their sound much, and they they hit a they got a hit. Like people know that song. Like random ass people who probably have never heard anything else by them you know i feel like that i mean at least in my opinion is pretty lucky like you didn't sacrifice anything yeah that's a very positive way to put it i I love the way you put it because i feel like that looks at things differently than uh that that also shows probably the difference of our personalities i felt like you did like a glass half full thing when i was looking at essentially like a glass half empty thing so what I feel like I would probably like it would eat me up if I were a band like them. You know, it's like it's like thinking about it's like tweeting something and just thinking about like the two comments mm. if you got like a thousand. 
Yeah, that's bad. You know, and it's, 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 yeah, so it's like kind of coming from like a smaller scene. It's like, it's like you, you really should be happy that you got stars, but then maybe you have some, you know, some bozo in Champaign, Illinois that's like, you know, (laughs) you don't own your masters anymore, bro. Or, 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 uh, that's the song you got popular on. Really? You know, that's not, it's not even your best song. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you're, yeah, some guy that's like, I liked you better when Andy sang, you know, and then you're just like, but but it's like, you, you should care more about the stars thing, but I wonder, it's like, and I hope not for their sake, you know, and, uh, but it's like, I feel like I would just at, I'd be laying awake at night just thinking of that guy riding away on his longboard saying something about, you know, because you know he's probably riding along. Of course, obviously, you know? obviously. <laughs> um, I feel like for, for me, I would be, I would feel it was lucky because think about all of the people like myself who was introduced to this by this one song and like now is mm-hmm. like, yo, listen, like check out this song and check out this song and yeah, I pre ordered the new LP and like, you know, et cetera. And it's because this song, that one song was on the radio. Yeah. So I wish that I was, I had liked them when I was younger. Because I think my experience, like, if I think about it, it would have been such an uphill thing. Totally. Because, like, if you if you got hooked onto it, because if I got into it at the right time and stars did hit me, because it would have, like, been seismic feeling, like, hearing a song like that, totally. like, in, in hindsight, which sounds like I'm contradicting myself. But, like, if, if I had heard it at that right time, and I didn't hear it till years later, until someone's, like, push-pitting to it, but if I heard it in 95 or around yeah. then then everything would have been up from there. Right. Because like, it's like, as you get deeper into things, it's like downward is kind of a deeper record. And then even though you have to wait like <laughs> you know, 22 years or whatever, but to have them come back, you know, with Inlet is just like icing on the that's cake. The, you know? That's the thing is like, I remember like what, whoever it was, Brooklyn Vegan or whoever dropping a like, Hey, word is that how might put out a new record? And my brain went, fuck. Like, I know exactly what's going to happen, man. Like, cause I like everything they put out and they're going to come back and put out this like cash grab record. And I'm going to be so pissed. Like, oh, wow. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like in my brain, I immediately went there. I immediately went to, there's no way this record's going to be good. Like they're going to put out a record. I'm going to be fucking pissed. Like they, they're going to just shit all over, like all the stuff they've already done. And then they drop that record. And I'm like, Oh, never mind. Uh, well, fuck. Yeah, yeah, and that record is like primed for you know. I, mean, I guess speaking for for you and me, um, it's like primed for like we can appreciate a record that has like I feel like on Inlet songs are like it feels like the songs are like every song's like <laughs> right, song. right, yeah. yeah. But it, but it's like that's what I want Dude, now. <laughs> like you're t- you're trying to tell me that you're gonna put out like a grungy like ISIS record. Yeah, that sounds fucking great. Yeah, like, sure, give me ten minute long like fucking phaser on your guitar. Like, let's fucking go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, and I guess like even thinking, do you know anything about? I know Matt Talbot has gotten into production stuff. And... He did. I think he did. He do Inlet. Yeah, I believe he did. I think he he produced all of it and like. He was one of the engineers. There was a couple engineers on it. Um, okay. But he was one of them. I didn't realize Polyvinyl put it out. 
No, poly polyvinyl distributed it. They put they uh, put it out on their own label called Earth Analog. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but poly Okay, I'm seeing Polyvinyl did all the distribution. Like I remember I had to order it for, through polyvinyl. Hmm. Yeah. Uh let me see something. Okay, I'm gonna look at the so yeah, track listing. Yeah, no track is okay. There's one track that's four minutes. Uh, but then other than that, no other track is less than five minutes. Yes. Yeah, which is that's so which is like, hey, so we're gonna make a record that there's no way any of it's gonna be on the radio. But like, let's just let's just do it. Yeah, okay. So the the uh credits. So oh I mean this is such an internal record. This is really cool actually to read about. So uh Jeff that plays bass in the band. Um so who played on everyone that played on You'd Prefer an Astronaut played on this record, which is really cool yeah. to read. So Jeff Dempsey played bass, uh plays bass, Tim Lash uh plays guitar, Brian Saint Pierre, I think is how you mm-hmm. pronounce it, drums, Matt Talbot, guitar and vocals. So Jeff did the design, Tim did the mixing and engineering and also design. <laughs> And then Brian, uh, drums yep. and design. Yep. So it's like, you know, and also Matt Talbot, engineering uh, and design. So it's like, it truly is like an internal everyone in the band, like touch this record, you know. Which is so cool to see, like, and they got back the masters for Downward, like they're the ones who re-released it on their own label, like, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's it's so cool to see a band that realizes the sort of hold that they have on fans, like the like mm-hmm. touch the, the the fact that they touch so many fans, and then also realize that the major label they were on doesn't really give a shit and will happily sell you their stuff because they're never going to regress it. Yeah, and I wonder like if we kind of going back to the idea of like I'd be curious to know how much it costs to make uh you'd prefer an astronaut and, and it's like and i know because there's major label thing a lot of times it's like i feel like the numbers are a lot higher because everyone gets invoiced yeah exactly, exactly and so it's or it's also like you're like i'm on rca we're catering every day sure because why know? not and then you're like oh shit and then people are like how'd you spend a hundred thousand on a record you know yeah. um but it's like well how much did we actually spend on the record mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, is a different thing uh but but i'd be curious to know that and and that's that's like a weird thing so it's like they essentially waited it out yeah to a degree of being able to kind of like have this second life and i and i hope that that we get more hum or we get you know and i know it's a weird time to say that because you know but you know as things clear up in the world uh it'd be interesting to see what they're able to do with it because i don't know if they've been able to play shows off of it at all I mean, because Brian. Well, we didn't talk about it, but Brian passed away. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is, I mean, huge bummer. Huge bummer. Uh, yeah. I would like to see what they're able to do, and maybe sort of keep the legacy alive. And I hope that this didn't just like completely take the wind out of their sails. Because um, they did those reunion tour, that reunion tour with Failure that we talked about, um, mm-hmm. which was before dropping this record, right? Yeah, yeah, that was definitely before. And yeah. so that might have been that might have been if I if I tell you what year I think it 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 was, 
we might both be sad that it's been so long ago. I believe that those reunion uh, stuff was like 2016. Oh my god. How does time exist? Like, time is fucking... <laughs> it's so fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> god damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, it would be cool to see them tour on this record. It would be cool to see them continue to do stuff. But at the same time, like, he was a beast behind their drum kit. Like, It'd be interesting to see who they not necessarily replace him. That I, I hate to use that word, but like, who fills in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it also would be understandable if this was it. True. Also true. You know, it's like it's it'd be such a like if you could make a bookend that way. You know, it's such a. I mean, he was sorry for my ignorance but i believe he he was around he was alive when it officially came out yes i yes. believe yeah yeah and so such i mean it's such like a bittersweet bookend it is you know to come back after whatever 23 years of putting like in between downward and and this one like and having it be such a monster and having so like seeing so many people respond so well to it. Um, it's, I'm sure it's a very difficult situation that they find themselves in because they, they want to, I'm sure, or at least I would to like want to bring it to people. But at the same time, like it's a really good period at the end of the sentence. Like it's a, it's an amazing yeah. record to just be like, all right, so we came back. We wrote, we wrote the record we wanted to write. Here it is. There we go. Yeah. One interesting thing that I read, um, and this ties to a previous episode at this point. So Chino from Deftones mm -hmm. said that he's quoted as saying, this is a heavy record, and it's where Deftones gets a big part of our influence tone-wise, which is an interesting thing to say. Huh. And when you look at, like, White Pony, yeah. Makes sense, Big time. but it's also weird because I'm like, Deftones were a band before that. Like they were perceived as a bigger band. I feel like before, but maybe about the same time. It's weird to think of your contemporary that way. It, it is. When did Adrenaline? Because Adrenaline's the one that, like, really, really hit. Um, for, for well, they have. When you think about them, because I don't think people would. I oh, mean, I yeah. clearly I wouldn't have before. I really did a podcast on it i don't think i would have really put uh hum and deftones in the same kind of spheres but when you kind of look at it from a different point that we are as adults like it is like there is some conversation going on because uh, i feel like hum kind of started around the same time and kind of had those experiences of kind of like putting out those records that are you know you know, like, I feel like there are bands that kind of like almost just like put out records to kind of go for it and springboard from it. Or there's like bands that kind of like workshop things for a few years and then put out the record. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, and Home and Deftones both were like bands that put out things along their journey to like what people perceive them as. So kind of going back to Adrenaline was 95, which is the same year. Um, <laughs> which is really weird to say that. Very interesting. I guess then that must have been because I feel like there's a difference between like White Pony versus Adrenaline. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to think of that where like 
uh, a band like Deftones that has so much evolution within their catalog. Like if you really listen to every record, like everybody in their brain is like, oh yeah, you know, around the fur and adrenaline. But if you listen to like, if you keep going and it's a very interesting evolution that to then think that, I don't know, hypothetically they were on like a festival together and Deftones, Deftones were like, oh shit, that's heavy in such a way that's like different than we're heavy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's funny. It'd be like, um, I can't think of what the equivalent would be, but still, I guess even if we're saying, I mean, just that, I mean, Hum and Deftones being around at the same time, it's just like any of your peers, you hearing their record and you like feel like you drastically change who you, you are or within a certain context, you know, yeah. like just being like, I heard my friend's record and now I'm going to change my sound. Which is crazy to think about. And like, were they even friends? Like that also is crazy to think about. No, not, I mean, not, yeah, not at all. But probably... like, you know, hypothetically, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it it that's such a major thing to think about. Like that somebody in because in my brain, Deftones are at a much higher level than Hum was. Mm-hmm. Mostly just because of how my brain works. They're not. Hum was on RCA too. They had a hit. They took did all the shit. Um, but the idea that like I don't know like somebody of that level would be like oh yeah like completely adjusted my tone a hundred percent after I saw this band from Urbane Illinois yeah and I've mentioned it before I'm, I'm, it's like every episode I'm now going to mention Hum and then now I'm going to mention Taproot <laughs> uh, what was interesting about a Taproot record and I think it ties in here and it kind of answers what we're saying um, they have a record that Jonah from far kind of helped write some songs. And that seems really strange. Cause it's like, Jonah didn't have hits to that caliber that taproot would have, but so it kind of, I guess going back to that idea that like people from majors were looking into independent to kind of like figure, they were like, this is perceived the real thing. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of capture that is so strange because it's like, it does start pointing to the idea of like, oh, this major label system isn't working. I, or I guess it's like you look to the real artist, quote unquote. Totally. totally. <laughs> Which is funny because it, it feels like any of these bands are just as talented human beings as, you know, it, it's it's just funny. If It even gets funnier if you think of Deftones saying that about like other records that weren't major label things. Right. Like if T- Deftones said, we heard this quicksand record and we changed our sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say, yes, quicksand's amazing, so I get it, but it's also like, oh, we heard into another and we decided to change our sound. You know, it's like... Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We heard Shelter and we decided... <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, w- I would buy that Deftones record. A Deftones Shelter, <laughs> like Shelter homage. I think they could do I it. They could, they could do totally it. do it. <laughs> yeah. All right, so you are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Tor Johnson Records, a label that I have been fortunate enough to put out music on. And so that, it's just crazy to me, like 20 years. Like when when you announced that, I was like, I thought we just played the... <laughs> 
I was like, was that's that time thing where I was telling you yeah, yeah. where I'm like, oh shit, I guess that was a while ago, you know. But I feel like it's like I thought it was ten years ago, not that long ago, or like we're not old enough to have twenty year <laughs> anniversaries. It's like when um, Delay did a twenty year anniversary, and I'm like, y'all like, are like thirty. Yeah, how'd that happen? <laughs> yeah, like what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what the fuck, Paul? <laughs> Uh, it's it's kind of crazy. It's um, it's weird to think about because it's it's now been such a major part of my life for so long that like yeah, it's weird to look back and try and remember a time frame where I didn't run a record label. Like is mm-hmm. a weird part. Um, but at the same time, it also feels like yesterday that I was like, you know, the first the first release we did was a Gorilla Biscuits tribute, and it feels like yesterday that I was like sheepishly emailing revelation and being like how do i do this like legally is, this, is it cool is this cool uh, yeah so yeah it's uh yeah well did did they i mean i know it came out but so they didn't give a lot of pushback on that not or? at all it, it was it, royalties i paid royalties it was like um okay fuck i'm trying to remember because obviously it was 20 years ago <laughs> um, i'm pretty sure it was something like 25 cents a song then times however many I was pressing. So there was like okay. three songs on it, so like 75 cents, and I pressed like 500 of them. So whatever the math ends up being and is what I paid them or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. Yeah. Uh, and then you just kept doing it for 20 then years. I just kept doing it. Uh, there have been years that have been like only one release. There have been years that have been a bunch of releases. Um I feel like definitely the reason like I keep going is because I'm not trying to like pay my bills with it. It's not like a quote unquote yeah. real, real job. Um, yeah. I can ebb and flow as I need to. Like if I only put out a tape in one year, it's fine. If I only put out like an LP, it's fine. Like I don't push myself to stretch it beyond my means. Yeah. That's been a hard uh, thing for me because there, there's been many points in, I guess if I haven't expressed it on the podcast, I I run a label called Self Aware Records, and we've worked together, yeah. you know, with our label multiple times. And yeah, and um, I mean, you're always amazing to work with, and I can't wait till when we can do it again. Awesome. Uh, but I mean, I feel like I'm at the point where it's like a, basically when when 2020 rolled around, and now also I've had a I've had one record in the plant since last february oh fun and i'm in the point where i'm like i should stop (laughs) you know but then i can't i then also think about i was thinking about your 20 years and then thinking about when my 20 will hit and i was like looking forward to that yeah i mean so then i'm like i guess i'm not stopping (laughs) that that's kind of the joy of doing it at the level that you and i do it is um the constant pressure of needing to keep putting out records is not necessarily there. Like if you're a professional label, you constantly need to keep pumping out records so that way you keep being relevant. So that way you keep selling units, which obviously you want to move units. Obviously you want records. I don't want records in my basement anymore. I'm sure those records behind you, you'd love to have them in someone else's house. Um, But at the same time, that that pressure isn't there because you're not trying to pay your bills with it. So 
Yeah. It's easy to keep going in that aspect because like, you know, yeah. someone sends you something cool and you're like, all right, I'll put it out. Or you're in between jobs or whatever is happening and someone sends you something cool and you go, I can't do it. Sorry. Like, yeah. Yeah. There used to be a lot of feeling of, and maybe it's just a product of getting older where it was almost, sometimes it really would be keeping up with the Joneses. Mm -hmm. and, and I hate to admit that now, 100%. but it's like you see a label do, so and like labels I shouldn't even have thought that there was any sort of competition, yep. you know, but it's like it becomes less and less of a competition. And I, I mean, I love that, but it also makes it feel like it's like, well, then this could be where I start. So, so maybe what I'm asking is like, uh, maybe you've already answered the question is like how did you get to a point where you were like i know i don't want to stop that is a interesting question um i'd say it was probably it was after my tenure was probably around like maybe my 12 year mark was one of the biggest years I had um, somewhere in that range. Like, I think I put out like five or six releases in a year. And mm -hmm. it just, I don't know, like every single release, I, I still get excited. Every test press, I still get excited. Like, I don't want to lose that excitement, I guess. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's weird. Um, in terms of the keeping up with the Joneses, I definitely know that feeling. Um, around the time we were not necessarily starting, but maybe like within the, the one to five year range. Um, I definitely considered myself in the same range as labels that I shouldn't have. And it's because I was friends with all the bands that were on their labels. My bands that were on my label would play with them. Like Robotic Empire is a perfect example of this. Okay. Yeah. I am in no way, shape or form any sort of competition to Robotic Empire. Andy's great. Lindsay's great. They carry my stuff. They're all awesome people. They started doing the most insane packaging. And their records were still regularly priced. And I was just like, what the fuck, man? Like, how the fuck am I ever supposed to compete with, like, a gatefold 10-inch with flaps that hold a CD inside of it? Like, die cut, die yeah, cut. That was, yeah. What was that, the Torch record that then also had, like, oh, they, uh... it was like, all right, we're going to have a vellum like Obi strip and it's going to be a gatefold. And on the inside of the gatefold is going to be a die cut little like flaps that hold the CD version in the die cut. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, fuck you, man. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends bought it and opened it once and he was like, I, I love this. It's great, but I'm never going to open this again. <laughs> <laughs> or like uh, the version of like uh, how the roots undo that they put out that had like die cut roots that folded in on each other to like keep the record cold. That the circle takes square yeah, the record. Circle takes square. yeah, I remember that one being like a lot. And like, <laughs> he'd just be putting out these records and every time I'd just be like, fuck dude. Like, you're making me look so like, like such a, such a small little label. I mean, how your brain works, obviously. Like you compare yourself mm -hmm. to things that it makes no sense to compare yourself to. Um, but yeah, uh, just interesting that you brought that up, the keeping up with the Joneses sort of idea. Yeah. 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 I mean, and in, into kind of more positive territory, uh, with it, like 
I, it's amazing what you're doing with uh, the 20 year anniversary. And I, I don't want to give too much away. Oh, I, I think I'll a lot it of it has away, been, yeah, you can give it all <laughs> away. I, I want you to give it away though. I don't want to steal your thunder. Um, so, so explain what this 20 year anniversary special that you're doing. Is. Okay. So, so for 10 years, I decided to put out a compilation. It was a seven inch. It was originally supposed to be an LP, but a bunch of bands like dragged their feet and getting stuff to me. So it ended up being a seven inch with like a big download code for 15 years. Uh, I did an LP compilation that we had an exclusive late bloomer song on and it was awesome. Um, for 20 years, because I am a masochist, um, I decided to do a subscription series that was 12 split seven inches spread out over the year. So it was supposed to be one a month. Pressing plant is a little bit slow. I'm supposed to be getting yeah. uh, the first batch of them this week, actually. So January and February are going to ship out together. Um, but I decided to do 12 split seven inches, which yeah. is insane. <laughs> that is insane. <laughs> When I originally was started having the idea, I started sort of percolating in like in 2020, um, just around the time of shutdown stuff. Um, I started thinking of ideas, and I always loved the Sub Pop subscription series and like um, a bunch of other labels do it, and it's just they're really fun. They're like a fun thing. You, you, they're, they're these exclusive records, and it's cool. Um, so I was talking to Tyler Daniel Bean, who is on the label, um, about the idea. And originally, I think it was going to be like five or six splits, like spread throughout the year, of like mostly just bands on the label. And he was like, you know, for the past 20 years, you've been booking a lot of shows. You have a lot of friends on, in bands much bigger than your label. Just ask. See if anybody yeah. wants to do it. So the first ask was uh, Evan from Intuit Over It uh, to be on the inside baseball here. Uh, for those of you who have not been paying attention to my social media or don't follow me, I have been very cagey about what the actual splits are. Like, every, like what the bands are are out there. Um, but I like the mystique of not necessarily knowing until the month it ships out what the actual split is so we can keep some of the mystery yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, you know but also you did sell you sold out of i did them. yeah so i feel like oh, right. it's so, like you kind of have that that thing or it's like well this is what you're eating tonight motherfucker <laughs> you know it's like you already paid for it you know um so it's like i or maybe you'll get a slew of emails that are like after people listen to this and they're like can i i gotta you know uh, <laughs> but i can't imagine you, you know? never know yeah uh <laughs> if you did not if you are not one of the lucky 50 subscribers uh every month the whatever band is on the split is going to have limited copies and then there's also a couple stores um mostly on the eastern seaboard that will have a couple copies uh each month so there are still opportunities mm -hmm. to buy it and you just won't be able to buy them all at once you'll have to buy them individually and fingers crossed you actually get them um, yeah. So the first big ask I did was Evan from Into It Over It to be the B side of Tyler uh, Daniel Bean, which we thought was funny mm -hmm. because they look very similar and they played shows together uh, back in the day. Yeah. And he said yes, and then the ball sort of just 
rolled from there. And it's, uh, yeah, I wish that it was put out. I, I mean, it's great that it's into it over. But if it were like Tyler Daniel Bean, what was his name? Evan Thomas Weiss. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that would have been good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's actually going to be, It's a, uh, Evan informed me after they recorded it, it's the first song that was written collectively with all the members of Into It Over It. Like, normally he just writes them and then, like, the band, like, just plays. But this was, like, the first song mm-hmm. that I guess they collectively wrote as a band, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, then I guess do we have – do you have more secrets that you're willing to uh, – I would be willing to divulge one more that involves – One more That secret. involves you, actually. Okay, so, okay. So uh, – so the list has been put out there that Late Bloomer is involved. And honestly, I really love the songs that you gave me. They're uh, a lot more, I, I'm going to say like punk sounding than maybe people mm-hmm. are used to for you guys. Well, or yeah. used to for current stuff for you guys. Uh, it reminds me yeah. a lot of like Descendants stuff. It's like, it's really fun. I really like it. Yeah. Um, Thank you. No, no problem. And uh, yeah. Your your uh, record is with your partner's group, uh, All Right, uh, which yeah. those two tracks are fucking amazing. Like, she killed it on those songs. Like, Yeah, yeah, I know she, she labored over it, and I, I will say to, you know, since I do play in All Right, it's like I did not really touch those recordings. Mm. A lot of, like, what Sarah's been doing lately had been and the band had kind of morphed this way. A lot of it had kind of been um, like kind of her expression of it, you know, as the band. And I, I've loved that, you know, and also maybe I'm lazy, but um, you know, so I'll cop to that too. And maybe both are true, but I do love where like Sarah's gone with it. And I think kind of, I think what's interesting about it and actually I'll back up a little bit. Uh, I'll be honest when, whenever that was like, cause there was like the list of, you know, where the splits were going and we're like, damn, we got to basically do a split with ourselves. Yeah. You know, it's kind of how it felt cause I'm in both bands. And I was like, you know, I wasn't going to say no, but it was like, there was like, we were like, what, you know, we were like, just like, yeah. you know, you know, and I don't want to sound like I'm not, um, happy to be on this. Cause it was like, we know we want to be on this, but it's like with looking at the list, it was, it, it, it's like when I looked at the full list, I was like, this is the only thing though that makes sense. Like yeah. it's like everything is sort of a, you know, a weird complement off the other, you know, in some way. And there's a conversation. It's like late bloomer and all right have toured together. We share a member me. And like, there's been a conversation and that's been the kind of the experience you've had with us as people. So it's like, given the concept of the thing and the, you know, these connections that you've had, it makes total sense, you totally. know? So I, I, if it's like, so now looking at it, I'm like, I wouldn't have it any other way. But also with like the, uh, the pandemic as it is, there's been a lot of thought, this, you know, the existentialism that I've peppered through this, yeah, this yeah, yeah, totally. uh, episode is just kind of like, well, if nothing matters, and even in the not negative way, then we can just write songs that sound like whatever we want them to. And I look to bands that you that are on there and I, I i don't even know i don't even know if i remember the split breakdown so i don't <laughs> want to give something away but like thou was on there yeah and you know like uh body is another band on the series as well these bands that kind of like they're they're heavy bands but like when you look at the body it's like they did that big brave collaboration record and it's yeah. like 
it can sound like whatever you want it to, you know? And it, yeah. it's not like it's like we're just playing, you know, starting to play ska songs, but it's like, but it's like, it can be whatever you want it to be, you totally. know? And that's what's been fun about it. And I love that people are kind of expressing that within, you know, I haven't heard that much of it, but I assume that it sounds like that's kind of been part of the conversation you've been having with bands. It really has been. Like a lot of the songs are some of the best that I've heard any of these bands in a long time like obviously i'm biased because it's something that i'm putting out like blah 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 but um the like bringing up tyler and into it over it like uh also little inside baseball uh they cover each other as well and Mm -hmm. their versions of each other's songs are like so fucking good like yeah um Pogo um, from Tampa, like uh, older indie rock bands, uh, also covered the band that they're doing their split with. Yeah, and I know I know what this is, but I don't want to give it away because I talked to Keith. Um, yeah, I talked to Keith about it, and you know, Keith was like, I I I didn't know who this band was, and I listened to them and was like, oh, this is really cool. And once they kind of, you know, it just kind of like. You know, and I think it was like that same kind of like it was like the hesitation. What is Paul? What has Paul done to me? But then kind of like once everything kind of went like, oh, this is really cool. And Keith was like super stoked on, you know, the way it turned out and just the the ways that you're playing with the constructs of like. I I guess I'm saying thank you, like kind of kind of like helping me play with the idea of like it can be whatever you want it to be. And, you know, with like Keith was kind of telling me personally when I was talking to him at fast. Yeah. yeah. It, it's like, um, a lot of people, especially, uh, asking bands who are in my humble opinion, bigger than the label. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of those bands have a view of themselves, have a view of what you're supposed to sound like, have a view of what, because we put out this, you've got to sound like this. And a lot of the bands involved uh, sort of stepped out of their comfort zone and made amazing music, beautiful music. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I'm really, really excited to share with everybody um, all the stuff that, you know, the 23 bands uh, were involved with. Yeah, I, I'm like I'm break. like 23. I'm like maybe there's parts of this that I don't even know exist. <laughs> uh, there is one one uh, seven inch that is the same artist on both sides. So there's okay. one that's not a split. Um, uh, fuck it, why not? Give giving away all, all the secrets. Um, it is um, my first hip hop release actually. Uh, oh wow! A local artist Storm Davis. Um, who okay, is yeah. pretty prolific locally. He also manages like Sage Francis's record label, like is very involved in local hip hop and um, personally is a very close friend. We talk label stuff all the time. Like the reason why Strange Famous started doing cassettes and like latest stuff is because I was talking to him about it and he was like, oh, fuck it, let's, let's try it. And hip hop kids loved it. Um, so his uh seven inch is like the, the a side is a song and an instrumental and then the b side is a song with another uh local hip-hop act um so 
I, I gave him both. I gave him his own seven inch. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I it's so I'm someone that is notoriously cheap in so many ways. And like also, too, when you're like a band, uh, you know, you get asked to do something. It's like, you know, so like, oh, I don't want to buy my own copies. <laughs> I will say I I bought a subscription to it because I was like, if I don't, I'm going to miss out on so many of these releases <laughs> and I have to have them like, you know, like just so many of them. I was like, I'm going to miss out and I don't want to. So you're that marketing got me too. So <laughs> <laughs> it worked. <laughs> so before I let you go and. As always, it's amazing to have these conversations with you. And uh, one other thing I'll lay on you, I know I already stated it, but it's been so amazing to like work with you over the past. Uh, obviously, we both don't know how to tell time. Yeah, it's been a long time. And also, I, with doing this episode, I'm like, I mean, I'm always like, I wish I talked to Paul more and I wish I saw Paul more. And But it's like, I owe you so much to like, you know, kind of like keep, me feeling like I'm connected to something, especially in these times in the past couple of years, it's like to be asked, you know, and I, and I want you to know, like we super appreciate it. And it meant so much Aww. to us, like to, you know, to be wanted you know, for this. So, so with all that said, uh, where can people find you? And if you have more information on where to buy uh, these splits. Sure. You know? Sure. Thank you, Josh. It's been really good. Like, like, like you said, it's, it's been too long. Like we talked about time being weird. Like it feels like very recently that you were up touring on like waiting and like, it, yeah. it feels like that was like yesterday, but it wasn't obviously. Um, it, it's, uh, it's been really good to catch up with you and I'm so happy to have you as part of the, the label family and uh, have met you and uh, let's not take so long next time. <laughs> in terms of finding me places, uh, Tor Johnson Records, um, Facebook, Instagram. I have a Twitter. I don't use it. It's attached to my uh, Untapped. Uh, so if you'd like to see me earn beer, uh, earn badges for drinking beers, uh, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, you can also, uh, yeah, I say Facebook and Instagram are really the, the spots. Um, this year for the split series, um, the full subscriptions are sold out. Uh, but every band that during the month that their record is released will have copies of their record. And then there is a handful of shops. Um, if you go on my Facebook or my Instagram, there is a post there with them. Um, but there's gonna there's a handful of shops, mostly on the Eastern Seaboard, um, that will have a couple copies every month as well. Um, and they're selling them individually, same with the bands. So you'll just have to hunt and hunt and find them, and hopefully not pay a gajillion dollars on eBay. Um, I will say yeah. that in January of next year, we're waiting up the full year. It will be available digitally. Um, it'll be up on the Bandcamp, so you can buy it as one whole comp uh, digitally. Um, and then in terms of Spotify, et cetera, it's at the band's discretion. Um, some of the bands did covers, so they might not want to do that. We'll see. Um, yeah, and uh, I'm excited for everybody to, to hear them. Yeah, well, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. It was my pleasure, and we got to, to talk about Hum, and that was fun. 
Welcome back. Thanks again to Paul for coming on the pod. So great catching up with him. Tor Johnson Records, like we mentioned at the top, sold out of all of the subscription, but hit up all of the bands or your local record store to get the very limited amount of surplus records that might be left. But act fast, very limited. Okay, next time on the pod, we're chatting with Casey Crawford of the band Virginity. We talked about Wilco's 1999 album, Summer Tea. So tune in next week. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. I believe you can rate and review on Spotify as well. Thanks as always to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week. <laughs>